This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. find ourselves in Romans chapter 1 in our series. So if you want to go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 1, that would be totally awesome. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, we get to a passage of scripture that deals with idolatry, deals with uh, sexual immorality, specifically uh, the topic of homosexuality. And we're going to be covering that today. And so uh, we're just, this is where we find ourselves in the verse by verse study of the Bible here today. So grab your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1 this morning, if you would. If you have the Huikala app, you can always uh, download the notes for today's message. There's a button that says fill in notes. If you'd like a copy of of the written notes, we're going to give those out after you take your pretest, because I don't want you to cheat and look ahead. Uh, So uh, Romans chapter 1 in your Bibles, if you would, this morning. We're starting verse number 18, read down through verse number 27. Does anybody need a copy of the pretest? Did not get the pretest yet? Raise your hand. No, don't fill it out yet. That's why, that's why I said turn it over to the blank space. Turn it over to the blank space. Don't fill it out yet. Don't even look ahead because I don't want you to cheat. Anybody else need a pretest? All right. Grab your Bibles, Romans chapter 1, starting verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools." And change the glory of the incorrupt, uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meet. The title of today's message, Fact-Checking Arguments Regarding Homosexuality and the Bible. There's so much information and misinformation out there. Let's take a look at the facts. And I'm kind of... Uh, 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 kind of formed today's message around uh, fact-checking. So here's the claim. uh, Here's whether it's true or false or partly true. And here's why. And we can see the facts from that. So turn your pretest over, if you would, at this time. And we're going to go through 10 questions. You're going to answer true, false, or partly true. Okay? Uh, I'm going to grab my pretest here. Uh, So uh, uh, let me see. uh, There we go. Question number one. Just circle one. Homosexuality is only condemned in the Old Testament under law, the law and passages that also forbid mixed fabric and eating pork. True, false, partly true. Don't answer out loud. Some of you are answering out loud. You missed the point. That's the whole point of a pretest, okay? Number two, Jesus never spoke about homosexuality. 
True, false, partly true. Jesus never condemned gay marriage. True, false, partly true. Jesus, Jesus never condemned transgendered individuals. True, false, partly true. Question number five. Homosexuality is such an awful sin it was punishable by death according to the Levitical law. Question number six. Homosexuality is an abomination and repugnant to God. Number seven, homosexuality is just the same as any other sin, like lying. All sin is the same in God's eyes. Number eight, all homosexuals are going to hell for being gay. Number nine, gay people are born that way. They can't change who they are. Question number 10, Jesus loved everyone regardless of their sin. Now, before we get into, and, and I give you the answers for these, we need to understand and kind of lay a foundation first. Basic Bible truths. This comes to uh, sins of our culture today, sins in our society today, sins in our own lives. Here's some ground rules that we need to know before we get to a very, very sticky topic. Now, again, today's message is not meant to be popular. Uh, today's message is not meant to be comfortable. We're going to talk about some things that are going to be a little bit uncomfortable today, uh, but we're going to just stick with the Bible. If we stick with the Bible, we'll be okay. So uh, principle number one, basic Bible truth, the Bible is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice. The Bible stands. If you don't like what it says, your problem is with God, not with us. Uh, your problem is, is with God, not with what the Bible says. The Bible stands even when it contradicts what we want to do with our life. The Bible is the word of God. We do what we do based on the Bible and based on the Bible alone. We don't do anything based on church tradition or the way we've always done things. And that's why, again, when we come to uh, things like uh, gay marriage and homosexuality, we don't take, as a church, a traditional view because tradition doesn't really matter. We take a biblical view because the Bible always matters. So uh, get from the jump. Everything we do has to be based on the Bible. Secondly, when we disagree with the Bible, we disagree with God. If we stay with the Bible, we can't go wrong. When we begin to interject our own opinions, our own thoughts, our own experiences, our own feelings, our emotions, uh, our, our, our opinions, then we get things mixed up. But if we stand on God's word, we can't go wrong. And anybody that disagrees with the Bible disagrees with God. Now, when we disagree with God, that even means you and I, we suppress the truth to make our own version of the truth. That's what Romans 1.18 says that we just talked about. Who hold the truth, that word hold the truth means to push it down, push down the truth in unrighteousness. So again, for me to disobey the Bible means I have to make up my own version of the truth. For example, a man wants to leave his wife. He knows it's a sin, but he says, I just want to be happy. You've pushed down the truth of God's word to make your own version of the truth to do what you want because you disagree with the Bible. So again, we can't disagree with the Bible because that causes us to disagree with God. Next, when unbelievers, non-Christians disagree with the Bible, they've been blinded by Satan. Please understand this. Get this from the very, 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 very beginning of all of this. Anyone who believes differently than the Bible, those people are not our enemies. They just don't know the truth. Whether they're steeped in false religion, whether they're living a sinful lifestyle, whether they don't believe in God, whether they hate God, they are not our enemies. Do not engage them as hostiles. You engage them as allies, as friends, as people we're trying to get to come over to our side. 
And so again, please understand, our battle, our enemy is not flesh and blood, the Bible says, but it's against spiritual principalities and wickedness in high places. Sin is our enemy. The devil is our enemy. People are never our enemies. Next, we have to stand for the truth, but we stand for the truth with much love and grace. We cannot apologize for what we believe. We cannot apologize for what the Bible says, but we don't have to be ugly. We don't have to be angry. We don't have to purposely go looking for fights or causing problems. We can stand for the truth, but do it with love and grace. Uh, John 1.14 says that Jesus Christ, we beheld his glory as the only begotten son of God, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus was not willing to compromise the truth to give grace, yet he was willing to give grace while not compromising the truth. And so we have to stand for the truth, but with much love and grace. And Jesus didn't compromise the truth, but he was willing to give grace. And we need to do the exact same thing. Next, Jesus didn't condemn each other, condemn other people, but he also did not condone them. Again, if someone's living a sinful lifestyle, I don't have the power to condemn them. I shouldn't shout them down. I shouldn't castigate them in any way. I'm just going to love them, but I can't agree with what you're doing. If you choose to go ruin your life, if you choose to live a lifestyle of sin, I wish that you wouldn't, but at the end of the day, I don't have any power over that. I'm just going to choose to love you anyways. And so again, this, this might be a, a paradigm shift for some of you guys because you might have been raised that these people are our enemies or, or the LGBTQ movement are, are our enemies and we need to fight against them and picket against them and rally against them and things like that. That's not a biblical concept. Jesus didn't call his followers to go out into the streets with signs and megaphones and shout people down. He called his, his disciples to go into people's homes and have meals with them. And so you and I have to make sure that we keep the right mindset. Next, our own sin is just offensive to God as the sin of others. It's amazing to me people who are so willing to point out other people's sins while neglecting their own. And friend, this is why Christians as a whole often get a bad rap because we, we're quick to point out other people's sin but not our own. That's why Jesus says, hey, if your brother's got a speck in his eye, please take care of the beam that's in yours first before you can help him. Because what happens is you have Christians who want to rail against gay marriage in the most hateful, ugly way possible, yet trying to excuse their own sexual immorality and, and please know this, if you're against gay marriage, which the Bible is against that since it's a sin, you should also be against divorce as well. Nobody said amen. <laughs> but, but again, here's the problem. When, when the whole issue of gay marriage came up uh, three or four years ago, one of the arguments that they had was, hey, if heterosexual nuclear families working so well, why do 50% of American divorces and 50% of American marriages end in divorce? Do you know what the statistic is for Christians as well? 50%. So better. So they're looking and say, oh, Christians, well, two guys can't get married, but two, two heterosexual people can get married and then divorce and then marry somebody else. Oh, it seems a little bit hypocritical, and it is. So again, we have to say the Bible's the standard, which is a high standard, but we're going to hold to it. And we're against sin in any flavor, regardless of what it is. We're going to stand for truth and righteousness. Next, we're commanded to love and serve everybody in the name of Jesus. Hatred is the opposite of the gospel. Please understand, our, our actions, if we choose to stand on biblical truth, is going to be characterized as hate speech. 
as uh, unkind, unloving, bigoted, homophobic, transphobic, whatever phobic you want to give it. But uh, please understand this. At the end of the day, we don't have to add fuel to the fire. The gospel is already offensive without being offensive on top of it. And so hatred towards anybody or anything is the opposite of the gospel. We have to have a lot of grace and love. And again, love, kindness, and authentic Christianity, that's what draws people to Christ. Being the real deal is going to bring people to Jesus. Nobody's ever came to Jesus because they lost a Facebook argument. Nobody's ever came to Jesus because somebody on their bumper sticker said, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Nobody ever said, oh, wow, that's so helpful. I think I want to turn my life over to Christ. Never. But why do we do that? Because we feel the need to grandstand on certain issues of the day. Christian, that's not our place. Our place is to love, provide compassion, show people how real deal Christians live. That's what draws people to Christ. Jesus, look, he flipped over tables, but did he flip over the tables of the prostitutes and the tax collectors? No, those were the tables that he was seated at. Did he call people whitewashed tombs? Yeah, that was the Pharisees, the people who had no need for Jesus but wanted their own religious and their own religiosity. But Jesus had compassion, and that drew people to Christ. Final caveat before we get into today's, uh, the bulk of the message here today. The church and the gospel are always the places to find help for any sin that you face. Any sin, regardless of what it is. This is a place for help. And please understand this, if two guys that are caught up in a homosexual relationship walk in the front door of this church and they can't find help here, where can they find it? If they won't see the love of Jesus here, where will they see it? If we're going to turn our nose up at them and, and like move our stuff over in the chair so that they can't sit next to us, where will they find the love of Christ? We should be falling over ourselves to make a place for them to sit down and feel the love of Christ and to hear the only message in the entire world that will set them free, and that's the message of the gospel. The only, thing that, the only hope in this world that they have is the gospel of Jesus. If we can't give that to them, who will? Nobody else will. And so again, all those are caveats for getting into to today's uh, pretty heavy topic, timely topic, definitely helpful in the society we live in today. And here's the thing I want for you. I'm going to give you one final caveat that's not in your notes. If you walk away from today's message with, you, with a bunch of ammo in your gun belt to light people up on the internet, you have greatly misunderstood the purpose of today's message. If you think to yourself like, oh, I can't wait to go to work tomorrow and let my coworker have it. You have greatly misunderstood the purpose of today's message. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up. And the last things that Christians need is to be puffed up with pride. The point of today is to give us a balanced view of what the Bible has to say about the sinful condition of man and what our response to that is. And so, number one, uh, and again, you can, can figure out whether or not you're right or wrong as we go through this. Uh, claim number one. Homosexuality is only condemned in the Old Testament under the law and passages that also forbid mixed fabric and eating pork. Rating for that is false. Homosexuality is specifically condemned in Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, which we just looked at. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 10, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 10. 
Uh, fornication is a blanket word. Uh, we're going to see this as we go through our study, and you should, you're going to see this as you read through the Bible. Fornication is a kind of an umbrella term that deals with any type of sexual sin, any kind. Uh, the Greek word that, that is used in the New Testament is the Greek word porneia, which is where we get our word pornography from. So fornication is a blanket word for uh, premarital sex, for masturbation, for pornography, uh, for extramarital affairs, uh, any sexual activity outside of the bounds of marriage. All that's going to be covered by fornication. And so while it's specifically mentioned in three different passages, Romans 1, which you saw that, 1 Corinthians uh, 6, verses 9, which is in your notes here. Do we hand out the notes for today? Oh, could you guys grab those right quick? I just, I just realized I have notes for you, uh, and so I forgot to hand those out. If you need notes, uh, raise your hand as the rushers come through. Beth, can you grab a stack of those too and get those out? My bad. I, I meant to. I had these instructions that I was supposed to give for how to hand things out, and I've totally forgotten. So if you want to, to follow along and take notes today, we've made it really, really easy for you because I want you to refer back to these things. Uh, and so this is going to be kind of reference material with it. at the end. You want to take a picture of it and uh, save it to your phone or something like that, but I want you to have some good reference material today. Sometimes I get ahead of myself. My wife says most of the time I get ahead of myself, so. Anybody else need a copy of the notes for today? They're coming your way. Anybody else? You may need a pen. We have pens too. You may need a pen. All right. Here we go. So back to your notes there. You should see these verses under uh, number one there. So again, three specific passages that homosexuality specifically is called out. Uh, again, fornication is all throughout the New Testament uh, as a, a sexual sin. Claim number two. Jesus never spoke about homosexuality. Mm, partly true. While Jesus never spoke against homosexuality specifically, he did condemn any and all sexual sin, including lust, which is covered by, again, that word, fornication. So again, did Jesus specifically call out homosexuality as a sin? No, but he talked about fornication. Now, Jesus went so far as to say this in, in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You're guilty of fornication just by thinking sexual thoughts about another person. So again, Jesus kind of took the Old Testament law and he cranked it up to 11 on the responsibility that we have to keep ourselves sexually pure. Now, this is also an important part to, to pull over for just a minute and say, just because Jesus didn't speak against it doesn't make it okay. Uh, again, because people sent me stuff that they found on the internet. It's like, is this true? It's like, verses where Jesus condemned homosexuality and it's blank. It's just like, okay, but there, there's also, just because Jesus didn't specifically condemn something or didn't speak about it doesn't make it okay. For example, here, here's, you should think about this for a minute. It's easier from the Bible to justify polygamy than it would be to justify gay marriage. There's more biblical weight behind polygamy than it would be to actually be able to justify other homosexual relationships or, and so what, verses that Jesus spoke against polygamy. There's none. Now, Mark Twain did say that there's one verse that Jesus spoke against polygamy, and he says, no man can serve two masters. <laughs> okay. 
that probably makes a lot of sense. But, but like on a serious note, though, again, just because there wasn't a specific quote by Jesus Christ himself condemning something doesn't make it okay. Because all of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is the word of God. Breathed by God himself inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, so all of the Bible speaks uh, as, as in totality. Uh, next. Uh, so uh, again, Jesus spoke against lust, against um, fornication. Next, Jesus never condemned gay marriage. Uh, partly true. Well, he didn't explicitly come out and say that uh, gay marriage was wrong. He did affirm that marriage was between a man and a woman only. Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 through 6. And said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So Jesus himself says marriage between a man and a woman and it's a lifetime covenant commitment. These two people have become one flesh. They have left their father and mother. They have cleaved to one another. The word cleaved means permanently connected to. I, I sometimes tell people that cleaving in marriage is like plywood, like you glue a bunch of sheets of wood together, and if you decided that you wanted to separate them later, the only way to do that is to destroy the whole thing where it's basically unusable. When a man and a woman are joined together in the boundaries of marriage and they cleave together, the only way that you can pull them apart again is to destroy everything permanently. It just doesn't work. And so again, this is an important passage of scripture because so many times people will look at this and go, oh, look, see, marriage between a man and a woman. Yeah, it also says lifetime. And so again, if we're going to be against gay marriage because we're for the Bible, we need to also be against divorce. We need to also be against extramarital affairs with the same uh, excitement, if you will. And I'm trying to help you to understand as we go through this, please, please, please understand this. Is homosexuality a sin according to the Bible? Yes, you can't get around that. Is it the cardinal sin, the most important sin, the worst sin in the world, and a sin that one could never come back from? No way. But sometimes we put it in that category of like, that's the worst that one could possibly do. It's really not. But again, we can't go along with the culture today that wants to say that it's okay and wants us to say that it's okay. So next, Jesus never condemned uh, transgendered individuals. True, false, partly true, partly true. Again, while Jesus might not have explicitly condemned transgenderism, he affirmed that God made them male and female, thus affirming that gender is not a choice and that there are only two genders. Transgenderism is not a thing according to the Bible. If a man is born a man, he is a man for the rest of his life. And nothing he can do from his appearance or any type of, of medical intervention can do anything to change the fact that he was born a man. It's just a Bible fact. Now, again, that might be hateful to some. It might be intolerant to some. I'm, I'm just saying what the Bible says. God created them male and female. Uh, again, gender is not a social construct. It's a biblical construct. God created that. And so, again, you, you might say, well, I don't feel a certain way. Okay, and I always encourage you with this. And this goes with everything in your life. So, so you should probably write this down. When my feelings contradict the Bible, my feelings are always wrong. Always. Well, I just don't feel like, like, like God loves me. You're wrong. Well, I don't feel like I should stay in my marriage. You're wrong. Well, I don't feel like I, I should raise my kids to do what's right because they're going to do what they want to do everything. You're wrong. 
Anytime your feelings contradict what the Bible says, your feelings are always wrong. Just remember that. That's why the Bible says you can't trust your feelings because your feelings always lead you astray. Next. Homosexuality is such an awful sin. It was punishable by death according to the Levitical law. Leviticus chapter 20, verse number 13. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with woman, both of them have committed an abomination and they shall surely be put to death and their blood shall be upon them. Is that true? It's absolutely 100% factually accurate. However, comma, working on the Sabbath was also punishable by death. Adultery was also punishable by death. Cursing your parents was also punishable by death. So again, I, I want us to have a balanced view of what the Bible says. Was it a sin that was punishable by death? For sure. But again, every person who wants to run out into the streets with a sign that says, you know, put the gays to death, have they ever worked on a Sunday before? Ever? You know? Have they ever been disobedient to their parents? Have they ever committed adultery? Well, I've never committed adultery. Jesus says if you thought it, you, you've already committed it in your heart. And, and this is why, please understand, this is why Jesus, when he stood there with the woman who was caught in adultery, said to her, hey, said to the, the, the men who had accused her, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all left. He said, woman, where's your accuser? She said, I have none. And he said, neither do I condemn thee, but go and sin no more. I can't condemn you, but also don't condone it either. Knock it off. So again, if we're going to be balanced with this, we need to see that adultery is as much a sin as homosexuality. Divorce, just as much a sin as homosexuality. Here's the thing. We, we look at, at gay marriage, and it's not really marriage according to the Bible because marriage is between a man and a woman according to the Bible. But when a, a heterosexual couple is married and then they divorce, you know what you've done? You've not only sinned against God, you've broken the image of God's love for his church. And so you've taken this beautiful picture that's supposed to be how much Jesus loves his church and you've split it and you've broken it and you've debased it and you've degraded it. That's how much God hates divorce. So again, it's easy for us many times as carnal Christians to cherry pick the verses that don't apply to us and then make a big deal about those. Hey, I'm going to point out everybody else's sin because I don't do those sin uh, and I'm going to make you feel really badly about it, but please don't turn it back on me because uh, I have sin too. So again, we're going to make sure that we're balanced when we take a look at this as well. Next, claim is that homosexuality is an abomination and repugnant to God. The word abomination is a neat word that we don't really use in our society today. It means to have such a strong aversion to that you feel physically ill. It's what the word abomination. Like, I, I, I hate this so badly, I want to vomit. It, it makes me physically ill. That's a strong reaction that God has to homosexuality, according to Leviticus chapter 20, verse number 9. Or, I'm sorry, Leviticus chapter 20, verse number 13. If a man lie with mankind, he lie with a woman. Both of them have committed an abomination, and they shall surely be put to death, and their blood be upon them. So, is it true that homosexuality is an abomination repugnant towards God? Yes. However, comma, 
Other things that God considers an abomination are pride, a lying tongue, shedding innocent blood, a sinful imagination, those who run toward evil, false witness, and those who sow conflict. These are also an abomination before God. So, again, again just to be balanced, Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 16, talks about seven things that God hates. Now, I want to pause here for just a second and, 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 and teach you something. Some people would look at this passage and say, these are the seven deadly sins. First of all, that's not a biblical Christian thing, seven deadly sins, okay? That's a mishmash of uh, secular uh, literature, Dante's Inferno, coupled together with uh, Catholicism, which basically ranks uh, sin and puts it in order. That's not a biblical thing. Because biblical Christians know this, that there's not seven deadly sins, that all sin is deadly, 100% of it. Because sin, when it's finished, brings forth death, 100% of the time. So all sin is deadly. There's not seven deadly sins. But some would use this passage to say that, but that's not what it says. But it does say, here's seven things that the Lord hates. Six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination, Proverbs 6, uh, verse number 16. Proud look, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that swift be running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Okay, these are things that makes God want to vomit too. What's the number one on the list? Pride. And let me just tell you, I've sat in way too many church services over the years. Primarily when I was a younger kid and people could get away with saying dumb stuff and nobody really checked it from the Bible. Blast God, homosexuality is an abomination. Makes the Lord want to throw up. We ought to just stone them all like the Bible says. <laughs> Time out, time out, time out. If we're going to stone everybody for being gay, we need to stone people for being proud too. We need to stone people for lying. We need to stone people for working on Sundays. Yeah, nobody wants to do that, do we? No. Why? Because it hits a little bit closer to home. And so I, I want to help you, Christian, to understand we can't pick and choose what parts of the Bible we like to stand on those. We have to stand on all of God's Word. All of it. And we become hypocritical. Uh, we become unloving and unkind when we pick and choose what parts of the Bible we really want to stand against. Which sins are the worst? And again, when we begin to, get, begin to categorize sin, it, it's a fool's errand. Next. Which leads us to the next one. This is good. Homosexuality is just the same as any other sin, like lying. All sin is the same in God's eyes. Now, before we, we give the uh, uh, rating on this one, you've heard people before said, and I've even said it before, hey, you know, your sin is no different than my sin. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Uh, whether somebody, you know, is a homosexual, whether they committed murder, whether they're a liar, we're all sinners before God, and we're all in need of God's grace. Is that a true statement? It's partly true. And let me explain why. First of all, judicially, all sin makes us guilty before God. So, First thing from the very beginning, uh, advance the slide back there. Uh, the thing that we need to understand, first of all, is judicially, all sin makes us guilty before God. James says this in James chapter 2. If any man offend in one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. So you're standing as far as innocent or guilty before God, you're guilty. Doesn't matter what you've done. Guilty before God. So whether you've told a lie, whether you've committed uh, adultery, whether you've committed murder, we're all sinners before God, and that makes us guilty before God. So 
Again, whether I've told a lie or anything, guilty. The Bible says, here's the thing, you and I were sinners before we had the chance to choose sin. Uh, the Bible says we come forth from our mother's womb speaking lies. That the moment that your kids are born, they automatically have a, a, a bent towards sin. They're automatically sinners by the nature that was passed down from Adam. And we're automatically sinners. So whether you sin as a child by telling a lie or hitting your brother or sister or something like that, you've already committed sin. You're already guilty before God. However, consequentially, sin has varying levels of destructiveness. Sexual sin is a sin against your own body. And for Christians, it destroys the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I think all of us could agree that lying about what time you went to bed last night or how many hours of exercise you got this week or how many slices of pizza you had, lying about that is not the same as maybe killing your neighbor. I think we could agree with that, right? There, there's difference. So you can't say like all sin is the same because obviously there's different consequences for different types of sin. Absolutely true. When it comes to sexual sin, sexual sin is in its own category of destructiveness. If you have your notes there, take a look at uh, what 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 18 says. Flee fornication, again, sexual sin. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body or outside your body. Every sin that you commit takes place outside your body. But he that committeth fornication, any type of sexual sin, sins against his own body. What? No, you're not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and you have of God, and you're not your own. So if I sin and I tell a lie, I'm doing a sin outside of my body. When I commit sin, uh, a sexual sin, fornication, I'm sinning against my own body, and it's in its own category of how destructive it is because it begins to be a sin against my own body. And I destroy as a Christian, the temple of the Holy Ghost. For non-Christians, again, we just go back to Romans chapter 1, it says that they defiled their bodies with their own sexual lusts. So either way that you get it, you're polluting, destroying, defiling your body when you commit any type of sexual sin. So again, is all sin the same? Yes and no. It all makes us guilty before God, but the consequences of it are different. Now, when it comes to homosexuality, it's kind of in its own category as well, because according to Romans chapter 1, verse 26, homosexuality is a result of God giving the idolatrous man up to his dishonorable passions. So now we see that homosexuality is God's punishment. You want your sin? Go for it. You can have it, all, all that you want, as much of it as you want. Uh, eat at the sin buffet every single day for the rest of your life. God says, you're welcome to it. And he hands the idolatrous man over to his own immorality. And the end result that we see in Romans chapter 1 is, is homosexuality. So, I, I want to help you with something. I've been wrong in my life before, and, I, and, and I've repented to God, and I've asked God to change me, and he has. He's given me a new heart, and I want to help you to have kind of the same mindset. Whether you're at the mall, whether it's your workplace, whether you're you know, in your neighborhood or something like that, and you see two people in a same-sex relationship, I'm going to confess my sin to you before. I would look at those people, and I would kind of sneer my nose, and I would look down my nose at them and think, oh, man, what terrible people. That's so gross. I can't, I can't fathom that. Like, I don't get that. That's disgusting. And the more that I 
determined to be like Jesus. I thought that every time when Jesus saw someone in sin, that was never his reaction. It was always mercy and compassion. So I asked God to change my heart. And I want him to help, help you change your heart as well. Because when you see people like that, your first reaction should be compassion. Here's somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Here's somebody that has bought into a lie that this will make them happy, that this is who they are, that this is their God. And you say, well, I don't think they're making it their God. Romans chapter 1 says they had. They took the truth of God and they exchanged it for a lie. And they bought into a system that's just not true. And so when I see people like that, now I'm, I have compassion. I, I pray for them. I want to get to know them. I want to love them. I, I want to tell them about Jesus. Well, they probably won't be receptive. That's not my, my issue. My issue is to love them and, and give compassion so that they might have the opportunity to know Jesus. And so I want to help you to understand that when you see people in a same-sex relationship, we shouldn't look like shame on you. We should look at them and say, oh, my heart hurts for you. We saw a girl at the, the mall um, a couple of days ago. We were there, and, and it was a teenage girl. She was probably, man, maybe 16 or 17, young. Really, really short haircut, dressed in kind of like baggy guy's clothes. You could tell she was wearing a, a binder. And I looked at that, and I thought, man. And I stopped and prayed for that girl because I thought, apart from the gospel, this girl has no hope whatsoever. She's trying to be something that she isn't because she's bought into a lie that somebody's told her somewhere. That if she knew Jesus, she would realize that she's fearfully and wonderfully made in Christ. And these confusing thoughts that she has can all be sorted out if she's willing to submit to who Jesus is. Now again, it's not my job or role to go around changing people. That's God's job. But I should have compassion on people that don't know Jesus. And I want to help you have the same heart. And again, if you can just look down your nose at people and judge them for who they are because they're not like you, you've missed the whole point of the gospel. And so I want to help you to have a compassionate heart. Next, all homosexuals are going to hell for being gay. I often hear this from people who have either been brought up in church or been around Christianity. All my parents say I'm going to hell because I'm gay. But is that true or false or partly true? The answer to that is it's false. Why? Because every sinner who rejects the authority of God, refuses to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, and continues a lifestyle of unrepentant sin will go to hell. That's nothing to do with your sexual orientation. That's nothing to do with who you're sexually attracted to. It has to do with the fact that have you repented of your sins and committed to following Jesus? If the answer to that is no, then you're going to split hell wide open. You could be straight as an arrow. You could be saving yourself for marriage. You could be, you know, the best person in the world. But if you have not been born again, you will die and go to hell. If you get nothing out of today's message, hear this. This is the most important thing that you'll ever hear in your entire life. You and I have broken God's law. Again, we've seen differently than other people, maybe. But we've all broken God's law and we're all guilty before God. The wages of our sin is death, according to the Bible, Romans chapter 6, verse number 23. When I die, I'm going to die, and I'll stand before God, and I'll have to give an answer for the way that I live my life. And so it's appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment. When you die, you'll stand before God, and God will say, have you broken my law? And if the answer to that is yes, you're going to go to hell for all of eternity. 
facts. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve because we broke God's law and there are consequences when you break the law. But the good news is, is God doesn't want you to go to hell. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so God sent his son Jesus to die in your place. You see, I was supposed to die for my sins, but Jesus died for me. I was supposed to have been punished for my sins, but Jesus was punished on my behalf. I was supposed to endure the wrath of God, but Jesus took all of that wrath on his shoulders, on the cross, in my place. But you have to choose to receive that. You have to choose to believe that. And you have to choose to be done with your sin. So, Two things that that requires you to be really, faith and repentance. Faith, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he's the only way to heaven. I believe that he died for my sins and rose again the third day. And I am willing to turn away from my sin and turn to Jesus. That, that turning away is called repentance. The, the Greek word for repentance is a Greek word metanoia. means to agree with God. I have to believe that God is right and I am wrong. You see, the problem with many people today, I, I want to pray a prayer to get to heaven. There's no prayer that you can pray to get to heaven. You have to believe in Jesus and you have to agree with God that you are wrong and you must change. That's repentance. So many times people miss that. Well, I don't want to agree with God because I think that I'm right. Then you cannot be saved. You cannot go to heaven. I don't want to agree with God. I want to continue to do what I want to do. You cannot be saved. You cannot go to heaven. You must repent and agree with God. So anyone who tries to pray a prayer yet continues to go back to a lifestyle of unrepentant sin has obviously not been born again or saved. And they will die and spend eternity in hell. Take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9 in your notes. Get this, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the people that are not going to heaven, the unrighteous. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, sexual sin again, nor idolaters, Romans chapter 1, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Both of those phrases deal with homosexuality. If you want to know what they mean, talk to me after church. I don't want to say it from the pulpit. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. This is a list of people who will not go to heaven. So some people look at this list and they go, well, uh, you know, well, I'm covetous. Does that mean I'm not going to heaven? If you live a life of unrepentant covetousness, then obviously you have not been saved, so yes, you will not go to heaven. Does this mean that alcoholics can't go to heaven? This means drunkards who do not repent of their sin cannot go to heaven because they have not been saved. This is not a list of sins that you commit that you can't get into heaven. What it's saying here is, is if this categorizes your lifestyle, you have not been made a new creature in Christ. Therefore, you cannot go to heaven. But the good news is this list here. I can look and say, I've never been in a homosexual relationship before. But I look at this list and say, I have been an idolater before. And so this list is kind of sobering. 
But I'm thankful that, that Paul doesn't stop there. Here's what he says. And such were some of you. Some of you live this way, but you know what? Now you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. You know what that says? Jesus can save anybody. Anybody. I've been an idolater, but I'm not anymore. You know why? Because I've been washed. I've been sanctified. I've been justified. Why? Because I'm a good person? No, by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And anybody can be saved. There's not a list of sins where you can't be saved. But here's the thing. You must repent of your sin. And repentance is more than just saying you're sorry. Repentance is agreeing with God that you've been wrong and that you want to change. That's necessary for salvation. Next, gay people are born that way. They can't change who they are. I've heard this before from people, and they, they give really good arguments for it. They say, well, I was just born this way. I, I couldn't change if I wanted to. It's just, you know, who I am. Is that true, false, or partly true? Well, it's partly true. Every poor person is born into sin. You can advance the slides again there. I think our slides guy's sleeping today. He's my son, so I can say that. So here's the fact check. Every person's born into sin. But if one is born with a proclivity to anger, an appetite for pride, a lust for sexual desires, or an inclination to violence, we can't say that we're simply born this way. We must trust Jesus to help us change. Biblically, we must repent. Here's the thing. I struggle with pride and I struggle with anger. I don't really remember a point in my life where I chose to be angry or proud. It's kind of always been. There wasn't a time in my life where I said, I'm going to stop being humble and I'm going to start being proud now. Never was a time like that in my life. I'm going to stop being passive and I'm going to start being angry. Never. It's just kind of always been with me. So I can say, that's just who I am. That's my nature. In talking with people before, they said, I would never choose to be homosexual. This is just the way that I am. I've always been like this. As a guy, you know, I always wanted to play with Barbie dolls. I wanted to play with my sister's toys. I didn't want to play with trucks like all the other guys. I didn't like baseball. I didn't like sports. Therefore, I must be gay. Okay. That doesn't change the fact that you need to change. Look, again, for the guy who beats his wife, you don't say to him, well, he was just born that way, just mad all the time always angry. I mean, he beats his wife. It's fine. She doesn't mind. We look at that and they say, that's reprehensible behavior. That needs to stop like ASAP. Well, no, it's okay. She doesn't mind. No, no, it doesn't matter. That's wrong. Well, he's always been that way. I mean, when he was a kid, he used to get in fights all the time, you know? I mean, so that's just who he is. No, 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 no. That's where behavior modification is different than salvation. Behavior modification is like, hey, let's give you some tools to help you change. Salvation is says, hey, let's put that old man to death out in the pasture, and you get to become a new creature in Christ. And so, again, misguided Christianity in the past and, and some cults like Mormonism have gotten into things like conversion therapy where they use electroshock therapy to try to do things like that to get people to stop being gay and stuff like that. All that stuff we would reject outright. But we need to be careful because telling people that Jesus can change them from the inside out 
and they need to die to their self daily, sometimes that gets, depending on state laws, that gets lumped into conversion therapy, which has been banned in many states. And so it's, it's, in some states it's against the law to tell people that they can't be gay, they should pray and, and trust Jesus. And so we don't fall into that category, but here's the thing. Jesus can save anyone from any sin, and they don't have to be identified by their sin any longer. Born this way, okay, nature, nurture, that's fine. doesn't matter to me either way. doesn't change the fact that you must change. The Bible word for that, repentance. Final thought here today, Jesus loved everybody regardless of their sin, and Christians should do the same. True, false, partly true, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Jesus spent time with sinners in an effort to draw them to himself, always. So what does that mean for you and I? We need to spend time with sinners that need Jesus. Hold up, listen to me. Some of you are putting your stuff away like I'm done. I'm not done yet. (laughs) Just because you ran out of blanks doesn't mean it's the end. What are you talking about? You must be new here. Because usually I have like three final thoughts, which is really like another three-point sermon, right? So don't put your stuff away. I'm not done yet. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't spend time with sinners because these were his people. He didn't spend time with sinners because he enjoyed sinful behavior. He didn't spend time with sinners because he enjoyed being around what they do. Jesus spent time with them because he wanted to get them to Jesus. That's it. When I was in the Navy, uh, a group of guys that I hung out with would often go out drinking uh, at the clubs and stuff like that. I, I never drank, and so I would always be the designated driver. And I thought to myself, I'm doing a service to these guys. I'm not drinking. They know I'm a Christian. Uh, that's why I don't drink. And so I'm making sure they get home uh, from the club, and nobody gets in trouble. And so I thought to myself, I'm just being like Jesus, spending time with sinners, trying to draw people to Jesus. But you know what I found? I actually enjoyed going out with them. It was a lot of fun. You talk to girls and, and try to uh, get to know people you don't know and see people doing stupid stuff after they've had way too much to drink and laughing at other people. And, and I, I found out I wasn't enjoying, uh, I, I wasn't being a testimony, I was enjoying their sin. And I had to check my heart and say, I don't think I can do this anymore with a good conscience. You know why? Because I wasn't there to be a witness, I was there to enjoy the fun. But here's the thing, if the the line for sin was here, I was right up to the edge of that and peering over to see what's on the other side. Can't do that. You should have sinners in your home. You should spend time with people that don't know Jesus. You should go grab a cup of coffee with, with your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus or a coworker that doesn't know Jesus. You should have the gay couple down the street come and, and grill burgers in the backyard and, and talk to them about your church and your faith and Jesus. But you should never indulge in sinfulness for the sake of your faith. Look, we're not carrying rainbow flags down Kalakaua Avenue with everybody else saying, hey, we're with you. I can't celebrate that which God calls dishonorable. I just can't. But I can say, I love you. I want God's best for your life. I want to tell you my story of how God delivered me from my sin. I want to tell you things that I struggle with so that you don't get the idea that I think that I'm better than you. Somebody asked me, he said, a couple weeks ago, he said, now there's a couple of guys that live down the street. I don't know if they're roommates or what. Like, what should I do? Invite them over for dinner. Doesn't matter if they're roommates or they're, they're husbands. Doesn't matter. Have them over to your house because you don't know if they know Jesus or not. But again, we have it in our mind that we're, we're creating silos of sin 
And it's okay to have people over here in this case, but not these people over here. Hey, look, be gracious and kind to all sinners. That's what Jesus did. There's people you know that need to know Jesus. And the only way that they're going to find him is by the love, compassion, and authentic Christianity of you. Because look, you turn on the news, you turn on the TV, you turn on social media, they automatically think, you're a Christian, you must hate my guts. Couldn't be further from the truth. Not even remotely accurate. I don't hate your guts, I love you to death. What are you talking about? I want to get to know you, I want to know where you're from. I want to know where you grew up, I want to know what kind of sports you like playing. I want to spend time with you so that you'll get to know Jesus. Jesus met the woman at the well. He knew for a fact she was living an adulterous relationship that was, what, punishable by death. You know what he did? He sat down with her and says, hey, can I grab a drink of water from you? And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We shouldn't even be talking. He's like, oh, no, no, I know. And what did he do? He had compassion. What happened? She got saved. And she went back to her town and says, hey, guys, I think I found the real deal. I think I found it. You guys got to come and see him. John chapter 4, you should read it this week. It's fascinating. Many of the people believed on Jesus for who he was. And many people believed on Jesus because of her testimony. How powerful. Jesus touched one person and she brought other people to Christ. And her testimony, that, that verse blows me away because this, people saw God in the flesh with their own eyeballs. And they believed because of the woman at the well. Not because of what they had seen, but because of her testimony. That's how powerful your story is to people that need to know Jesus. Let's live like that this week. So, complex subject. I think we'd be hard-pressed to find anybody in the room here today that doesn't know and love somebody who struggles with this issue. But the problem is, is many times we just make it about the issue and we forget the fact that these are people who Jesus died for, that have real feelings, that have emotions, that many times are confused, that don't know the truth. Man, what a privilege to be able to love these people like Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't even know for sure that I'm saved. Hey, look, you can't begin to understand the love of Jesus until you've been saved, until you've been born again. You'll never understand mercy and grace and compassion and love and kindness until you first know the kindness of Jesus. So put your faith in him today. But for the rest of us, let's just day after day, week after week, live biblical Christianity that draws people to Christ. I want to say this. As your pastor, you see Two guys or two girls come in the back holding hands. Make room on your row for them. Ask them to sit with you. Find out their name. Find out if they got plans for lunch today. That's what Jesus Christ would have done. Hey, couple of, uh, a couple comes in, male and female. Make room on your row for them. Ask them to sit down with you. Ask them if they got plans for lunch. That's what Jesus Christ would have done. What's the, what's the idea? No difference. Everybody needs to know the love of Jesus and everybody needs to know, love Je know Jesus himself. Thanks for joining us for the Huikala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. 
You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.